Welcome, apprentices and acolytes, to the first Spoopy podcast. We're going to have so many things going in. We're going to have a complete story today from the Dark Legend stories. And we're going to get into some of the horrors of hyperspace and deep space creatures. Ready up. Ready up. My destiny. Thank you so much for coming in to the Dark Temple and Unlock the Knowledge by Lord Dagavir. Visited by Mera Jade, Luke Skywalker, Kyle Katarn, and so many other Force sensitives like yourself. Thank you for coming in here. And we're just going to get right into the first story, straight out of Star Wars The Dark Legends, written by George Mann. And this is going to be sick. So you ready for this? Listen in. On the planet, on the planet Katine, Nestled amongst the gloomy spires of one great city, sits the ruins of an orphanage where long ago children who had lost their parents during the fallout of the Clone Wars were sent to be cared for while they awaited placement in new homes throughout the sector. Only, all was not well at the orphanage, for amongst the children there were tales of a dark terror who came in the night, a tall, thin man with sharp teeth and glowing eyes, who from time to time would visit the orphanage to steal away children, scooping them out of their beds and dragging them through the window, their cries muffled and unheard. The children who were taken by this horrifying creature were never heard from again. These rumors were passed in terrified whispers between the children, muttered beneath the bedsheets or behind cupped hands when the lights went out. The stories had, of course, been dismissed by the orphanage staff, and while it was the true that some children had gone missing from the orphanage over the years, probably nothing more than runaways, children unhappy with their lot of suffering from the devastating loss of their parents. The rumors were viewed as nothing but the wild imaginations of disturbed youths, an embodiment of their fear and pain. Nevertheless, the stories persisted, and there was the little orphanage staff could do to curtail them. All of who came to reside in the orphanage then heard tell of the monster, and from the moment on lived in fear that they, too, might be next unwitting victim. All except one. Elish had always been considered an exceptional child, ever since her time at the school of Morloran, where she had astounded her teachers with her confidence and scholarly aptitude. She was a gentle sort, prone to helping others before herself, and that made her popular with the peers and the younger children alike like her mother, a place guard, Malarin. Elish had always felt a deep connection to the universe around her and the living things that inhabited it. This connection granted her a great sense of peace. It while she, too, had witnessed horrors. She refused to believe in whatever dark phantom the other children in the orphanage feared. For Elish, evil was embodied, not in form of monsters, but of men. For she understood that all the terrors that had so recently blighted the galaxy were an act at the behest of individuals and not creatures of the night. So it was that Elish, upon coming to the orphanage on one of the Emperor's vast transport ships, became something of steadying force of the other children, helping them cast aside their fears and despite all they had lost, seek amidst the dormitories and schoolrooms of the ramshackle old building. For many months this went on, and much to the delight the orphanage staff talked to the Phantom talk of the Phantom faltered. The children seemed altogether happier, and when the supply ships came in for the season, some of the orphans were allocated new homes with adoptive parents eager to lavish love and attention on their new charges. 
It was not unusual for Elish to be awoken at night by the sound of screaming, for some of the children in the dormitory were plagued by night terrors that would wrench from their slumber, causing them to lurch up in their beds, their faces gleaming with sweat. Never would the night staff come confront the, child, the poor children. Elish would slip from her bed to take their hands, and her calm words of comforting influence would be enough to quiet their nightmares and send them readily back to sleep. However, one night, not long after her arrival, there was a great disturbance during the night, and all Elish the alarm went up. She leapt from her bed to find the entire dormitory in disarray, and word amongst the children that there was a monster had paid a visit in the small hours of the night and stolen away the young boy named Samuel. True enough, there was no sign of Samuel. In the search, as might, none of the staff or children could locate him. Nor was there any evidence that the stranger had come amongst them, save for a window gently tapping on its frame, stirred by the breeze because the latch had been left undone. After securing the window, the orphanage staff soon began ushering the children back to their beds, cooing sympathetically, shushing their eyes of distress. Samuel would be found in the morning, they said, or else he decided to run away and leave them, sneaking off into the night to make his own way in the world. Elish, though, could see that Samuel's handful of belongings had been left behind, scattered beneath his bed, and she knew he would never have left his toys behind for he would never tolerate being separated from the little hand-carved figures. Thus, as the other children finally began to settle, once again in their beds, Elish lay awake, reaching out with her senses. For she had come to recognize Samuel through his connection to the universe, similar to her. This had marked them out as different from the other children. All save perhaps one. A young Kassarian girl named Jifar who also seemed to share Elish's unusual perceptive. Sure enough, though, Elish could not sense no trace of Samuel anywhere within the confines of the orphanage or the grounds. Discomforted, she lay awake for the rest of the night, certain that he would not be found the following day. The next morning, a small expedition was put together from amongst the staff, which set out for the village. Hoping to discover that Samuel had fled short in the distance of the settlement during the night, they were certain he would be found, cold and embarrassed, huddled in someone's barn, ready to return to the orphanage for a warm bath and a rest. As Elish had predicted, however, the team returned, but a few hours later, tired and hungry, claiming that there was neither word nor trace of the boy in the village, or anywhere on the surrounding paths and the roads. He had simply vanished, and there was nothing at all they could do about it. The next day, the rumors of the Dark Terror returned as the children whispered about the sounds of the scratching they had heard at the window, the hissing breath of the creature as it had moved amongst their beds, the icy cold that had signified its arrival. Despite the best attempts of the staff, the children muttered to one another in fear, terrified of what might happen if the Dark Terror came for them next. Over the course of the next few weeks, Elish made a point of befriending Gifar. The Caressian girl was almost two years younger than Elish, but much like Elish, she carried herself with a surety and confidence that belied her youth. They took long walks together around the grounds, explored the nearby units, read stories, told each other tales of the Clone Wars and the dreadful things they had seen, and studied together under the tutelage of the stern old lady who ran the orphanage school. They swapped bunks to be closer to each other, and each night, 
Gifar drifted to sleep. Elish would stay awake as long as she could, watching over her friend and watching over the dormitory window for any sign of a monster. For, after Samil's shocking disappearance, Elish had begun to wonder if there was truth be found in terrible stories of the yellow-eyed phantom after all. Time passed, and as it did, life at the orphanage returned to relatively normal. Soon, the transport ships would arrive with their seasonal supplies and there would be a new influx of children to the orphanage, as well as a handful who would leave off to settle new homes far away on other worlds. The place became a hive of activity as preparations were made. Ellis still thought of poor Samuel from time to time, but after so long, she had once again begun to doubt the stories of the Phantom. Perhaps Samuel really had run away. He hadn't been happy at the orphanage at all, and had simply hidden from the search parties. Perhaps he was out there somewhere, hiding. Hiding amongst the ruins of the old city, making a new life for himself on his own terms. Yet Elish was still filled with gnawing doubt if he was out there. Wouldn't she have sensed his presence, as she did with Gafar, when they were a part of the... during the day? For many weeks, she had maintained her watchful vigil over the young girl, but wakefulness takes its toll at a time, and Elish was wary, deep down to her bones. So it was that. When Jafar settled to sleep one night, Elish felt her own eyes closing, unable to stay awake uh, any longer to watch her friend. But from this unintended slumber, Ellis suddenly woke up with a start. All was silent in the dormitory. Save for the quiet murmur of sleeping children around her, a gentle breeze brushed her cheek and stretched, rolling over onto her side at the pier of the window. The curtain billowed softly in the breeze, shimmering the moonlight. She started. The window was open! Ellis sat up, sucking air into her lungs. She turned to Kafar, only to find that she was too late. The crooked, the crooked, stooped figure of the phantom loomed over her friend's sleeping form. He was dressed entirely in black, with a strange metal disc attached to a panel on his back. His eyes were aglow with the brightest yellow, seemed to weep tears of blood down his stark, pale cheeks. His head was hairless and gray, with a strange web markings describing patterns on his plate. His body was tall and thin, his arms gangly and ending in long, slender fingers as he stooped to lower to gather Gafar up in his grasp. Stiffing her protest with a hand held firmly across her mouth, he looked directly at Ellis, smiling wickedly in display his jagged, feral teeth. And then he was gone. Moving so swiftly that Ellis could barely make sense of what she was seeing, he seemed to flit amongst the shadows, bounding over children's bed in effortless leaps until he was standing just before the open window, one foot on the ledge. Elish, who had been rooted to the spot, unable to move, emit even a single sound, fought desperately against the strange force that bound her, pushing back against him with the wind, with her feelings. And for a moment, she thought it might give, that she might be free to do something to help her friend, as the dark terror paused in the open window and, framed horribly by the moonlight, looked back at her, inclining his head appreciatively before stepping out in the frigid night beyond. Immediately, Elish felt her sense return to her and screamed. The lights went up and the staff came running, but of course, there was nothing to be done. 
There was no sign of the phantom from the window or amongst the ruins below, and all Elish could do was stare at Gafar's empty bed and weep. The staff in the orphanage knew Elish for the sensible child she was and did not dismiss her tale of the yellow-eyed man as, as his wicked smile. They increased their nighttime patrols through the, door, through the dormitory, fitted a new lock on the window. But in truth, there was little else to be done. Further searches proved fruitless, just as they had when Samil had disappeared. Jafar was gone, and Elish could no longer sense her presence on Gatine. Life at the orphanage continued, but a sullen silence had befallen the children, and without Elish's comforting words and gestures, they grew terrified once again that the evil phantom would return. Elish knew, however, that if he was to come, then she would surely be his next victim. For the dark terror had sensed the strange connection inside her, felt her push back against his awful smothering control, and she knew that what he was hunger for. Had not Samuel and Gafar both shared her deep understanding of all that went around them? Wasn't that why they were taken? She knew something had to be done. From that day forth, each morning, before the children rose, Elish would sneak from the dormitory through the echoing halls of the orphanage and out into the ruins of a temple close to where she and Gafar had once played. There, she would scale the jagged remembrance of the temple's spire and find a perch for herself close to its apex and call out through the vast web she could feel thrumming around her, begging for help from any who might hear her plea. For many days this continued. Elish grew increasingly despondent, fearing the imminent return of the yellow-eyed phantom. At last, however, her cry for help was answered. Someone came that day from the stars, landing in the ruins in a brightly colored ship. A dark-skinned woman named Kira Vantala, who carried the hilt of a strange weapon at her belt, and spoke with an authority even the orphanage staff seemed to code by. Dismissing their concerns, she sought out Elish amongst the children and asked her to explain what occurred that night Gafar had been taken. Carefully, Elish related her tale. And as the woman heard it, her face creased in concern, for she claimed she understood what the evil thing wanted and from where it came. She resolved to put it to a stop immediately. When Elish told the woman about her own fears of being taken, for she understood, intrinsically, that she could trust her. Kira explained that she, too, was a survivor, just like Elish, and that although it was widely believed that there was wars had ended, it was more important than ever to fight for what they believed in and to protect the innocent from harm, no matter how terrifying it might seem. So it was that each night, for more than a week, Kira Ventella lay in wait, and the children slept soundly. Soundly than they ever had before, comforted by the presence of their new guardian. All that was, except Elish, who knew she was to be the Dark Terror's next target and that she had to find a means within herself to brave and help Kira defeat the terrible enemy. Perhaps then she could stop the Phantom from taking more children and in some way wake for what had happened that night in Gafar when she had been able to help her only friend. One night soon after, as she prepared for herself to bed, Kira's whispered in Elish's ear to the Phantom was close. She had sensed his presence on Gatine and knew that he would come that night to the orphanage to attempt another abduction. Elish too could feel the creature's nearness, like a tightness in her chest, and she knew that whatever happened that night she would be strong for only then could the monster be stopped. Sure enough, as the glooming finally tipped over to the night and the chill dark set in, Elish stirred at the sound from the window. Slowly she turned, holding her breath, expecting to see the terrible apparition peering through the glass panels. 
but to her horror, she discovered he was already looming over her bed. Just as he had, Gafar's. With that terrifying smile writ large on his face, he stooped low and scooped her out of bed, bundling up on her arms. His touch was cold, and yet somehow seemed to burn her skin. But as she cried out, she realized that no sound came from her lips. Whatever power he had over her was strong and oppressive, and she found herself unable to move, to speak. She tried to push him away with her mind as she had before, but the struggle as she might, he was stronger, and his grip seemed to tighten until it felt that his cold fingers would wrap themselves around her heart. The force is strong in you, young one, he whispered as he carried her toward the window. His breath warm against her ear, he did not look back as he stepped over the ledge, seeming to glide along the curtains toward the shadowy ruins below. Kura, Vantala had been ready for him, however, and as the dark phantom carried the terrified Elish off into the grounds of the ancient temple, she followed swiftly behind, calling the creature out. For a moment, Elish feared he might run, that he'd carry her away in a huge, unnatural strides off into the darkness where she'd never be found. Instead, though, the phantom amused, stopped in his tracks, and turned to face Kira, a sneer on his melogent face. As Kira approached the evil, thing dropped Ellis to the ground, stepping over her as he stalked forward to face the oncoming woman who, Ellis now saw from her position on the ground, was just a fearsome as the dark in terror of the wonderful way, strong and brave and bold. Kira Vantala, the phantom said in his voice, serving to draw. I admit that I'm surprised. Of all those who might survive the purge, I did not imagine a weakling such as you to become one of them. Then that was your mistake, Kira. Kira said, For the dark side has forever underestimated me. And the phantom laughed, lurching forward, grasping for her throat. Kira, though, knew the terrors of the tricks of the old, and as he went for her, raised the hilt of her weapon, ignited the blade so brilliant and bright that the phantom cringed, shrieking back and hissing like a corn snake. His arms raised, his face appalled in shock. Such was the intensity of the light, and it seemed so to sear through the creature's very soul, and he stumbled in difference, driving back by the blade's power. Stern-faced, Kira gestured with a wave of her arm, and the monster was cast aside, surging through the air to slam into the tumble-down wall, dislodging a shower of dust and debris as he slumped to the ground. But as Ellis watched, the phantom rose from amongst the debris, hunched and crooked, grinning wickedly. He moved swiftly, flitting amidst the shadows like a wraith, almost impossible to see. Kira twisted, a glowing blade raised, seeking him out. She could not keep up. However, Ellis screamed, a warning as she saw him dart forward, striking Kira hard in the back. The woman went down, the hilt of her weapon rolling away across the ground, its fizzing blade extinguished. The wicked creature fell upon her, his savage teeth glistening, but Kira was fast, and she rolled, spinning up onto her feet and her arm outstretched fingers open. Elish saw the hilt of the woman's sword lay twitching on the ground, as if it deferred to answer the master's call. It was trapped, however, beneath a wooden beam which had fallen on Kira had tossed the dark terror into the wall. By then, the phantom had pressed his attack, looming tall and sinister over his prey. Elish could see the desperation on Kira's face, the fear that she too had felt in the evil thing's presence. She knew what she had to do, 
Her heart was hammering in her chest. She lurched to her feet and dove for the hilt of Kira's sword, pulling it free from where it was lodged beneath a beam. As soon as it was in her grasp, the smooth metal hilt flew free, leaping from her hand and soaring through the air toward Kira. Elish could hardly make sense of what had happened. No sooner had Kira's fingers closed around the weapon's hilt than there was a flash of hissing light and the blade swept forth in a wide arc. The phantom hissed in pain, clutching at his chest, dropping to his knees before Kira. With another gesture of her hand, Kira set the dark terror tumbling backwards, crashing to the remainder of the temple wall, which seemed to crumble around him, showering in stone. Before she knew it, Kira was at Elish's side and helping her to her feet. Her leg was smarting from the fall, but she knew he'd play her part and he'd been strong as Kira had shown her. Together, they had defeated the Phantom. Never would he return to plague the children of the orphanage again. Finally, they were safe. The nightmare over. Elish sighed in relief. However, when the two of them staggered over to examine the Dark Terror's remains, they found nothing amongst the pulling shadows but a broken fragment of the wheel he had worn on his back. And when they turned away to begin the slow walk back to the orphanage, Elish was certain she could hear his manic laughter drifting away on the breeze. Da end. Yeah, that was actually pretty sick. <laughs> that was a pretty sick story. So that story is actually uh, about what, I, what I'm assuming is uh, one of the Inquisitors, and I think it's actually the Grand Inquisitor because they describe his name very vampiristic, right? You know, he's got the crazy long fingernails and the teeth. Man, that was so beautiful. That was so sick. So I'm going to be reading one of those stories every single week. I hope you enjoyed that. That was pretty awesome. Um, I damn, That was such a damn good book. <laughs> that was really, really good. Um, but today, uh, what I actually want to go on and talk about is, which is going to be so freaking sick, is I want to talk about more spoopy stuff. I want to talk about hyperspace. I want to talk about all these scary, terrifying things inside the Star Wars universe. And, oh man, Star Wars is terrifying. Star Wars is horror. You know, it's that sci-fi fantasy. Well, what exactly about Star Wars is terrifying? Well, you got a lot of components. Um, and obviously you have the dark side. But what honestly, what is terrifying is space. Space is terrifying. Uh, the, the infinite possibilities, the infinite uh, just expansiveness. What is out there? What actually is out there? And hyperspace is so intriguing because it is terrifying. And you have the Star Wars galaxy, right? Well, let's, let's talk about the Milky Way. We know our planets. We know the solar system, okay? But there are so many planets in Star Wars because Star Wars is expansive. Star Wars is practically limitless with everything that it has inside of its canon story, inside of its timeline, right? Think of a planet right now, your favorite Star Wars planet, right? So let's talk about like Tatooine, Coruscant, the main stuff. You know what that is? That's inside the core planets. Tatooine is not, but, but, uh, but, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, <laughs> oh my god, yes, I'm terrible. Coruscant, right? You have Bis, you have um, a lot of these inner core planets that are right around the circle, okay? Think of the sun, okay? And then outside of that, you have the inner core planets and the outer core planets. And then you have the mid-rim. And then you have the outer rim. And then you have the unknown regions. Okay? One of the most intriguing things about Star Wars is 
the planets that are outside the outer rim. Okay, these this is the outer rim, right? A planet that is that you would know that is somewhat in unknown space or unknown regions or the outer rim. Um, uh, Tatooine is right on the fringe, right, right on the rim of the outer rim. Okay, Endor, right on the rim of the outer rim. But the unknown regions, that's like Exegol. That's Elum. That's Batu, right? That's Octu from The Last Jedi. That's all of these planets that are so far out. Well, Lord Dagavir, how, how do these planets get discovered? That's a great question. But you know what's also incredible? Is that you can't just explore in space, in Star Wars. There are terrible things out there. And some of these things are the galactic barriers, the, the hyperspace anomalies, okay? And, and Star Wars, the galaxy, is cut off by this thing, okay? Completely separated. There's only really a few instances where characters actually venture out into the unknown space or the unknown regions. Uh, because there's just a great disturbance of the galaxy and that is these galactic barriers, these hyperspace anomalies. They practically forbid, halt, stop anyone from going beyond that. A really great example is Exegol in The Rise of Skywalker. It's probably one of the greatest things um, in, I feel like, in, in the new movies, is you have that. You see they need an entire wayfinder to go through this entire nebula and get, make their way into Exegol. And that is just one Think of it as one road, one highway. Why is it so hard? Because of hyperspace. Well, why can't you just punch it and go through it? Well, that's impossible. Because hyperspace is already so complex. It's very, very hard to understand inside Star Wars. Uh, there isn't really a lot of... It's not so in-depth and fleshed out. We kind of understand a, a very small margin of rules. It's like, okay, well... You have hyperspace, you can go into it and you can exit. As we saw in The Rise of Skywalker, you might run into a planet. You might run into a monster. You might run into a sun or another solar system or a dark hole or a nebula, right? Or you might run into one of these galactic barriers or hyperspace anomalies. And if the thing is too, is like that there are hyperspace highways, okay? And you cannot go through these anomalies in hyperspace. In fact, they actually completely prevent you from even going into hyperspace or going through into hyperspace. If your starship went into this, you'd be completely neutralized. Your ship would take damage. Who knows what even happens? Did you know there's a completely like, uh, uh, there's there's a something in Star Wars, it's, it's very similar to like Stranger Things where it's like the upside down, right? Or, or what's it called? I'm not really a big fan of Stranger Things, but it's like, I think it's called the upside down where everything is just like weird in its own dimension. Star Wars has that too. If you're not careful the way you jump into hyperspace or you exit, hi uh, you exit hyperspace, it's called the other space. And when you look into space and you see how it is black and then the stars are all gleaming with white, well, the main color in other space is completely white and the stars and the planets give out a blackness. Um, and there's like actual races that have been literally like ex they have lost their way and they are completely inside that void and there is no way for them to escape. It's completely terrifying 
because there's only there's practically no way to go back into real space um, and and people have gone mad races have gone mad have completely vanished starships star destroyers have gone into that accidentally and have never returned it is terrifying and and there is no way to come out because you're just inside a dimension that you're not necessarily supposed to be in and that's why a lot of the star wars galaxy hasn't really been found yet canonically right and when we think about one of the instances of one of the planets is that we see hexagal is one of them camino is another camino is quite far it's not necessarily inside the it, in, inside the galaxy it's actually extra galactic right i just learned what that word is today extra galactic what does that mean situated occurring or originating outside the Mickey, the Milky Way galaxy. So instead of the Milky Way, just think of the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, Kamino is inside something called the Rishi Maze. It's outside the uh, the known galaxy of, of Star Wars, but it's still there, obviously, because it's in the same universe. They're not going in, at that far, but they're just going outside of their, their galaxy. And it's quite expansive. And you saw how hard it was for Obi-Wan Kenobi to get there because it was practically deleted <laughs> from their archives. Now, uh, why am I telling you all this? What, what about hyperspace is, is, is essentially scary because we don't know what's out there. It's terrifying. Uh, people are able to venture in, in, in extra galactic voyages, uh, but we don't know what entirely is out there. Some of the books that I read with Thrawn are incredible because you have the Grisk. And in Legends, of course, you have the Ujan Vong. And those, that's a species of race that did not exist inside the known galaxy of Star Wars. They come from another galaxy. The Force is not actually, doesn't exist in their galaxy. And it has no effect on them, which was such a terrible thing for the Jedi to fight because their invasion took the galaxy by storm. Such surprise, they did not know what to do. There was so much death and killing because of this alternate species that ventured inside of, of the known Star Wars galaxy. And there is a bunch of stuff inside hyperspace, inside deep space, that really is terrifying. One of the things, of course, is one of my favorite and it's actually so incredible because it comes from the star wars role play games and i think it's called um ultimate uh, it's it's called something ad adversaries and the complete uh it's it's ultimate adversaries yeah ultimate adversaries which is actually a role play book and the the book is so incredible and if you ever find it please buy it Go to these thrift stores, go to these uh, garage sales, see if someone has it, because this book is almost $100 right now, hardcover, because it's so it's so rare. They don't make it anymore. You could probably find it on eBay or Amazon somewhere, but it most likely is used. So um, one of these creatures is called, <laughs> it's called the uh, Star Weird, I believe it's called. It's, yes, I believe it is the Star Weird. And um, the Star Weird is, think of a ghost. Okay, um, and, and this is why it's so terrifying, okay? Because hyperspace, you have to go, if you're traveling to deep space, if you're traveling to the unknown regions, if your goal is to get outside the outer frame, 
you're going one place, and that is hyperspace. And hyperspace actually has a lot of terrifying things kind of attached to it. Star Weirds is one of them. These are like ghost humanoids only found in space. Uh, and <laughs> if, if you're out there, uh, most of the time alone, for some reason, these uh, deep space ghosts, uh, they're wandering like in a timeless void of, of deep space, uh, often, very often hyperspace, if not only hyperspace. Um, and they're very quiet. They're silent, uh, sitting there, looming, uh, and they're telepathic. Uh, they will be able to sense you. And uh, what's terrifying is um, they often appear in hyperspace. And as soon as they find you and hone on you, there is no possible way to survive an attack because they 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 attack you somewhat through uh, the dark side and there there is we don't really know there is no actual proven way to defeat them or fight them or combat them aside using the force so if you're not a force sensitive you're probably going to fall victim to this this terrifying creature <laughs> because it's it's literally the moment you make contact it becomes aware of your presence um, and you start to uh, kind of uh, you're victimized to these uh, disembodied voices screams in space you hear terrifying screams in space you you're, you're hearing uh, uh, all these different disembodied voices that are reaching out to you in hyperspace um, and then you start seeing a freakishly tall person, very tall human. And there are features that resemble you, except they're skeletal. It resembles a skeleton, so you start to see their bony hands with a face and, and their hair looming and waving as if uh, there's uh, some type of fan blowing in the wind, but it's just them uh, stuck in the middle of their uh, realm that they're in as they're honing in and floating above with their hands protruding like uh, kind of like uh, claws and floating in front of you. And there's nothing that you can do if you're not a force sensitive because they're just attacking you uh, and, and, and trying to... to to eat you or do whatever the heck they do uh, because they're nuts and they're powerful um, and they only exist in the vacuum of space and there is absolutely no way for you to run away or fight these things unless you're force sensitive and even if you are force sensitive they seem like such a stain there is practically no way that you can get rid of them and uh, it's one of the terrible things about it's so hazardous to be flying out in space because people just don't know what's out there in Star Wars and there is quite a few things uh, outside the Star Wars that are also similar to that. Another one, of course, is the Spathe Wraiths. And, and I feel like the Star Wars and the Spathe Wraiths are so very similar because they're all out there looming in in space they're all out there just kind of waiting and waiting for some terrible uh poor, poor, just terrible weak victim 
to go out there and 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 take out. Now the space wraiths are different though because they don't reside in hyperspace. They're kind of just also uh, looming in 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 some of the space lanes, um, and they're just kind of uh, ch uh, chilling there and uh, in, in hibernation often. And I think they wake up from hibernation when a life force kind of finds them um, or runs into them. And and this is different because unlike the space wraith. Um, they possess you. And when they're inside, um, it's it's almost as a... Uh, it's almost similar to a possession where uh, the longer that they are inside of the host, uh, the longer... Uh, the, the more opportunity and, and power that they gain over the host themselves. Um, and what they do is they actually... Uh, they actually possess you through influence and they kind of um, control your tendencies and inclinations. So uh, a really good example that we have is that if you're an engineer, you're actually going to sabotage everything that you're fixing. Um, if you're a loyal soldier, um, you shoot um, and try to betray and kill your own brethren. Um, and, there's so, and there's a couple of ca accounts where there was a patrol from a Star Destroyer of four or six TIE fighter pilots that went off a routine check and they all came back uh, possessed um, and, and they took, they, they hosted and they, they were inhabited by these space wraiths. They went back to the Star Destroyer and left the hangar and they were able to spread and that resulted in 400 members of this Star Destroyer crew to uh, to die and be killed. It was droids, troopers, and all the crew. 400 of them all died <laughs> because these space raves are are practically like uh, possession spirit uh, possession zombies that are infecting you. Um, all throughout uh, space and it's terrifying to think that because you you're on this crew you're on this star destroyer and then people come back and then they're acting possessed they're acting crazy you know <laughs> and they're completely AWOL and then you find out that it's actually this uh, creature that is able to jump from body to body and infect not only uh, people but droids and, and everything else which is also uh, quite alarming because there doesn't seem like it there's nothing that can also uh, fend off and even droids to the point are getting possessed um, so it's one of the major things that you're gonna have to watch out inside uh, the Star Wars <laughs> universe it's 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 so crazy to me how uh, incredible Star Wars has always been uh, because of that you know but you have the Ujian Vong that are out there um, and you have the space race you have the uh, star weirds, you know, and then you have the anomalies, uh, like the hyperspace. And hyperspace itself is also terrifying because when you're inside hyperspace and you start looking out the window and you see that everybody knows that everybody loves Star Wars, and you see that blue hint of white spinning, right? Because you're punching it and you're going through the hyperspace. And then there is a hyperspace sickness where you can go mad from being in hyperspace and looking at it too long. And and that's also an inclination too that there are space space wraiths. And it's only just a matter of time before 
we see some another horror element inside uh, Star Wars, inside that, uh, because we there's so many planets, right? There's so many beautiful creatures. There's so many terrifying things uh, that's around Star Wars. And you think about the Kirkna, right? Uh, Kirkna that we saw inside Mandalorian. Season 2 was the second episode, and those are the spider creatures. We saw them in Star Wars Rebels as well. Um, and people that saw Star Wars Rebels probably know more of their tendencies and behavior and, and how they act as a species uh, because they're also somewhat Force-sensitive and they, they understand and, and kind of feel. Uh, they're very empathetic, right? Uh, they have those feelings, which is why they often attack people because they sense their fear. Um, and, and that's why you also saw that in Mandalorian, which I felt like was a really good depiction of them. And that was a really crazy planet, too. And you think about Hoth um, and, and, and the terrors of Hoth and, and uh, what Hoth is, like the icy planet, you know, and I instantly think of The Thing, uh, which is one of the, I think it's one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Um, and, you know, there's actually a, uh, a species or an organism called um, the Nau Nau. And the Nau Nau is this type of uh, intelligent liquid ooze okay and one of the reasons uh or a lot of theories okay in in star wars is that these galactic barriers these hyperspace anomalies uh they exist to keep the now now away from the rest of the galaxy it was created to make sure that the now now doesn't spread and infect the rest of the galaxy the now now is incredible and terrifying the reason why is because uh it's uh, it's 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 so ex extensively horrifying uh because it kind of is like the thing okay uh the now now desired nothing more than control and subsequently sought to spread its body and influence over as many worlds as possible if possible, it would destroy entire planets as it had with Mugfallow. But that ideal amusement of torturing and killing other sensities was entertaining. Okay. <laughs> Mal now delighted in torturing and consuming other beings. It seemed to thrive more on being suffering than the sustenance their bodies provided. So... It just wants to torture you. It just wants to cause you pain. That's what it gets pleasure from. This is straight from Wikipedia and the personality traits because there's only, I think, a few times that the now now are actually even written and, and, and mentioned. I think there's even only one illustration of the now now, um, and that's just of it um, entering a, a host. And that's it. Um, I think there's only certain depictions and, and imaginations or dramatizations of what it actually looks like. Okay? So, using its possession abilities, it would create torturous scenarios such as reuniting a grieving mother with the reanimated corpse of their youngling time and time again. It would persuade other beings by playing with their emotions into making deadly decisions such as opening a ship's airlocks or deactivating parameter fences <laughs> yeah um it's 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 insane how terrifying the now is 
when when uh, conversing in its natural form, now now spoke in dreamlike observations, often in verse, metaphors, and riddles. Due to its long life, it spoke ancient languages and conversed in long forgotten conventions of speech. So not only is it incredibly terrifying, it's it also seems somewhat uh, celestial in in age. Uh, like this thing is, is is ancient. It's almost as if it's a precursor. Uh, throughout the galaxy because it's known so much. Uh, though it told tales of Celestials, uh, Rakata, and Dawn of the Jedi Order, it seemed to know the current plots of the galactic rulers, the locations of lost treasures, uh, the answers to age-old mysteries. Some believed that every word it spoke was a lie. And that's terrifying because you have, you know, high intelligence, highly intelligent creature that also seems to be ageless, throughout time and it's able to possess you and take shape and take form um, and also reanimate dead and, and and able to end them over and over and reanimate them and end them over and over and reanimate them um, it really does seem like the now now is something that should probably uh, stay exactly where it is um, and it, it, it looks like some type of Little roll black ooze. Yes, and the now now prepares to take a human host. So uh, it's it's quite terrifying that something like that even exists in Star Wars. Because when you think about Star Wars, you're not thinking about horror elements. Um, but the expanded universe has delivered some incredible things, and uh, I think as time goes on, you're going to see more and more of that. Uh, and you know, you have the Night Sisters. You have the dark side. You know, you have. Um, the cave on 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 Dagobah, and the cave on Dagobah is is one of the most terrifying things in all of Star Wars because the cave is alive. the The cave is alive, um, and and one of the books that is a certain point of view, um, The Empire Strikes Back, which is incredible. And if you have not read that book or have not listened to the audiobook, you need to listen to that audiobook because it's absolutely incredible. There is a plethora of good juicy details that originate from that novel and one of them is the story of the Dagobah cave because the Dagobah cave is alive and it loves feasting on fear it loves feasting on fear it loves talking to Yoda it remembers talking to Qui-Gon and it loved talking to Yoda because of his fear his fear of everything his fear of failure is his, his remorse his fear of uh, the future you know, his fear of what might to come. There was so much fear that Yoda had, and he, and he kept talking to it and asking the cave and going in and, and connecting with it to the Force to the point where the cave was almost Yoda's friend. Uh, and it also depicts Luke Skywalker and Luke Skywalker's experience inside the cave. Only take what you need, right? And that's also incredible, too, because what appears inside Luke's experience in the cave, what is it? It is Darth Vader, or whatever that is. It's a thing. It's something. Is it inside Luke? Is it? Uh, is it a now now? Something that appears to take shapes. It's a shapeshifter. Uh, what exactly is that? Right. And then you, of course, you have the Last Jedi, and the Last Jedi has the cave on Octu, which of course is below the Jedi Temple, one of the first Jedi temples, might add. So that darkness that originates there is also, you know, a forerunner. Or a precursor. It is something that is ancient, something that is very powerful, something that is dark, 
uh, Terra, all creatures from all over that planet had, had reached out and, and died and withered there because you see the bones and then you see the ice entrance to that cave with the reflection of what you're seeing. You look down into your soul and peer darkness that's experienced so many others inside the last Jedi novelization um, someone else was drawn to there there was several other visitors that visited Octu and Octu wasn't just uh, Luke Skywalker's hideout or Rey's sky out no there was someone who was drawn there with students several people uh, and then there was a very unhinged character who was dark that also lingered there um, that's mentioned at the end of the Last Jedi novelization. And uh, all of this because of the cave. All of this because of uh, tree, uh, cave-esque dark side sources. Uh, just like that cave on Dagobah, just like the Octu. There's a lot of incredible things out there. And it's just the start. It's only the first spooky podcast that we've had. <laughs> and I hope you enjoy today. Uh, because I am going to be talking a lot more. Uh, only reason why I didn't have a lot more is because I want to do the, the story, um, and I also want to talk more tomorrow. Um, and then closer on, we're going to be talking about uh, Dark Side. All Dark Side. It's all going to be so fun. And one of the things I love the most is tombs and Sith spirits, because it's going to be sick. And one of the most incredible things is experiences in visiting Sith tombs on Moraban, on Korriban on Yavin, and so many other Sith planets. It's gonna be fun. Well, welcome to Unlock the Knowledge, the Dark Temple. I appreciate you all coming by. Season 2, Episode, what, 24 of this entire knowledge? I hope you've been unlocked, fam. Let me know if you love it. Go and subscribe. Follow me on Twitter. Get heckin' ripe, all right? The Dark Temple is here, visited by Mira Jade, Luke Skywalker, and Kyle Katarn, and so many of the Force sensitives like yourself. I am Lord Dagavir. I hope you enjoy all the Star Wars goodness. Ready, fam? Deuces.